0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. A quick word from our sponsor. You know, business owners need capital to grow and expand. Payroll, hiring, acquisitions, access to capital can be difficult and risky for business owners, especially when it's tied to their personal credit. Credit Suite empowers business owners and entrepreneurs to get the money that they need to grow their business. Credit Suite also helps companies obtain business loans and credit lines through over one thousand different lenders. A business owner can use business credit to fund their business versus relying on personal funds, personal guarantees, or those of their friends and family. How fun is that? Credit Suite has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and a five star ranking with TrustPilot. You know, you might be surprised to know that any business can qualify for business credit, even startups, if it follows the proper steps to obtain it. They map out those steps in a free guide called How to Build Credit for Your EIN that is not linked to your SSN. To download this free guide, visit creditsuite.com credit, slash passive. That's Credit s slash passive. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, ownership of real estate has many benefits, from an investment and a tax perspective. Yet, you know, there is downside risk. However, since the value of real estate holdings can be used to cover damages awarded in lawsuits, you really don't want that exposure. So it is important to consider asset protection strategies relating to real estate holdings in order to minimize that risk. Asset protection planning is a way to reduce your exposure to future lawsuit risk. And it encompasses insurance and how real estate is titled to make it and other assets less valuable, less vulnerable to the claims of individuals who may be able to sue you for something in the future, whether it's frivolous or not. You know, it is about preemptive planning. So the first place to start is with the property itself. Since real estate investors are easy to identify, easy to sue, and appear to have deep pockets, being adequately insured is an absolute necessity. And then the second step involves the proper structure in which to hold the real estate. For investment properties, it is highly unusual to hold them in an owner's personal name. That just is the wrong thing to do. Now, I'm not an attorney, but any attorney will tell you holding title to real estate or any kind of asset worth anything in your personal name is just a big mistake. It's putting a target on your back. So holding property in one's personal name or jointly with a spouse places those personal assets and other investment properties at risk if a lawsuit results in damages being awarded. So using the right tools to mitigate your exposure, risk, and liability is critically important. You need the right tools. So on today's episode, let's learn more about properly protecting ourselves. It's my pleasure to introduce to you attorney Scott Smith. Scott is the owner of Royal Legal Solutions in Austin, Texas. They are one of the top asset protection companies for real estate investors in the country, and they provide niche advice for over 29,000 real estate investors representing most of the U.S. states with holdings of over $4.5 billion. He personally holds real estate in over 10 of those states. So Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here, Marco. Thanks for having me on great having
0: you on i haven't done an episode on asset protection for a while and i think we are long overdue because there's a lot of things we can talk about as it relates to asset protection and it's such a critically important topic and one that i think a lot of investors don't really like to talk about because the fact that they could potentially get sued scares them but you can't stick your head in the sand and avoid the topic so you and i are going to have some dialogue today and, and talk about some stuff that i think investors really really need to hear So let's begin with you. You have an interesting background. I read a little bit about you on your website. So tell our listeners how you got started in real estate investing.
1: Yeah, I actually started while I was in law school. So what we ended up doing was buying a commercial real estate investment and ran a transmission auto repair shop to be able to graduate from law school without debt, being a partner of mine. And that's where I fell in love with real estate because one of the few people that was able to come out of school and and not have a quarter million dollars in debt was a pretty big accomplishment for me at the time. And then ever since then, it's always been a part of my life and part of what I do. So and now I'm in a unique position of being a real estate investor as as well as an attorney and to be helping people all over the country, no matter where they live and, and no matter what asset class. So it's, it's really been quite the ride for the breadth of things I get to touch.
0: Do you stay on top of real estate law and, and what changes are out there and, and especially how it applies to tax laws? Is that something that you do? I'm not quite clear on whether you kind of spill over into the tax side of the equation.
1: Yeah, so I do do a lot of work with the taxation, I'm not a CPA, right? So I'm not going to file people's returns. But I know from working with hundreds of CPAs and other attorneys that of what are the practices that are going to work, for investors, right? So the lines that kind of coming up as what happens with taxes, what happens with company structure, those are always together. We usually start with saying, how do we get the best tax treatment? How do we get the best financing? And then we find a legal structure that fits our maximum profitability. And then the line gets drawn around, you know, what are the stuff we do is I handle all of that piece for my clients. But then let's say they have, you know, a water rights issue on their property. That's where we'd say, well, go talk to a local attorney for that. That's particular to your one little niche area that you need to find a specialist for that piece of it. But anything high level in terms of what it takes to make money, what it takes to be able to invest in multiple different states, how do you minimize taxes, streamline your company structure? Those are all the realm that I play in.
0: Yeah, that's great to know because I don't think anybody can really separate completely the taxation portion as it relates to the legal portion of it. They're joined at the hip and they go hand in hand. Even though you may specialize in one area, you can't separate or ignore the other side of it.
1: Yeah. You're always sacrificing if you do. Right. Which is why I work so closely with so many CPAs and we're constantly in contact about, you know, how are we going to you know, increase those efficiencies? Sure. So, you know, it's really the taxes really drive what the lawyers like myself have to end up doing. Well said. It's the same thing with, for example, with financing, right? When we're acquiring property or what are we going to do on that end of it? It's the banks that actually determine what's the process in which we're going to acquire new assets. And then we play you know, our own game after the banks do their part. So we're always kind of like after the fact problem solvers.
0: Right, right. Well said, but critically important at the same time. So Scott, I've read somewhere that you invested several years, quote unquote, deconstructing real estate investing. I don't know what that means. Can me maybe explain what that means?
1: Yeah, that means that you basically read every single book you can possibly get your hands on and then you start to outline what are strategies that work and don't work as a professional, right? Yeah. So What that looks like is from a lawyer perspective is that if you ever look at how many books lawyers typically read to go through law school, it's usually around eight feet high if they actually stack all the books they read. So basically what I did is I took all of the work and study habits that I had through law school and then I applied it specifically to just real estate investing and real estate asset protection and said, okay, what's that going to be? So that's really what informs my basis of decisions. And and then, you know, I stay fine tuned by talking to other professionals because, you know, things are always changing and I can't stay on top of every little niche area but you know that's why I have friends and colleagues.
0: Well, it's good to be highly educated. One of the things I harp on so much is to educate yourself and build your financial intelligence and your level of knowledge in the areas that you are either an expert at, a professional in or passionate about and so you are clearly doing that, which is great. So let's talk about asset protection and and the reason why you know we need this. And I think everybody understands the need for it, but you know, no one wants to get sued. And if you plan to be a real estate investor, the question I think becomes not so much if you will get sued, but probably when you're going to get sued. So do you have a feel for how often people get sued in the US? And and really, what's the likelihood of actually being sued?
1: Yeah, so lawsuits are pretty common here in the United States. We live in the most litigious country in the world. And the issue with real estate investing in particular is that there's a 95% probability that you're going to be faced with a major lawsuit during your lifetime as a real estate investor over the course of 20 years.
0: That's very high.
1: And I like it to, to think of it as akin to saying, like, we don't know when it's going to flood, but we know it's going to flood. And what are we going to do? Right. So asset protection is really it's an insurance policy for the flood, but we're going to call the flood a lawsuit, and asset protection says, what are we going to do when there's going to be a major lawsuit? Because a lot of the common structures that we think about that people use for protection, like I have an insurance policy, so I'm okay. Uh, Those don't really work in a lot of these cases, and most all of them, really, when we're thinking about the really major ones.
0: I think there's a misunderstanding or misconception as to what could happen if you get sued. I mean, being sued sounds very scary, but it could be so many different things. And I'm not sure even for myself, I understand, because I think I've only been sued once and it just went away because it was frivolous. But I mean, what could happen? What is the real fear in being sued?
1: Well, the issue is I've personally seen investors lose three plus million dollars from a single lawsuit, completely wipe them out. From it, right? And these were guys that were insured and still had that happen to them. The biggest misconception that happens is that people think that insurance covers you from anything that can happen to you from like the risk of real estate, right? But from a legal perspective, insurance only covers one type of claim, and that's for accidents, which is called negligence. But every other type of claim, you know, there's hundreds of the other types of claims from Fraud to breach a contract to gross negligence, which is just merely a really bad accident, aren't covered by insurance. And those can happen from a car accident that exceeds the limits of liability to your insurance policy to an unrelated business deal. You know, so many things can happen during our lives that would then trigger out of nowhere one of these major lawsuits that then threatens us with potentially completely wiping out of our assets. That we spend our lifetime developing. So it's really, in that sense, thinking about where are we going to do for having that peace of mind? Because once the lawsuit is filed or even threatened, it's actually already too late to do anything. A transfer after the fact of a lawsuit is threatened or filed is actually called a fraudulent transfer. Right. So it, the law only favors the proactive in these circumstances.
0: So you need to be preemptive, is really what you're saying.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think regardless of how much you have to lose or how much a person stands to lose, at the end of the day, you really want to set that foundation. You want to build on a solid foundation of asset protection. Because if your goal as a real estate investor is to build and grow your real estate portfolio and increase your wealth, meaning your net worth, you have more to lose. You have a lot to gain, but you stand a higher risk of losing more. And so it's important that you set that foundation right from the beginning, right?
1: Yeah. And the number one rule of investing, right, is don't lose money, right? Because it's so hard to come back from losing money. right, And so lawsuits is just another one of those ways that you can lose money, you can lose a lot of money all at once out of nowhere, right? So which is why lawsuits are inherently kind of like a scary thing. But what separates just low level type of advice of like being scared of a lawsuit from real actionable information and what it takes to have smart asset protection as an investor really comes into answering some fundamental questions about what's a model that I can set up as a foundation that I can start now that can grow with me throughout my life. that is efficient to grow, meaning not expensive as I add more assets. And, you know, it gives me flexibility to correct course along the way without having to completely redo large chunks of legal work. Right. So that's where the art comes in from, you know, what the variance is in types of attorneys that advise on these issues and what you know, from a from an investor perspective versus, you know, just general advice.
0: Right. Well, that's a perfect segue. So let's discuss the top 10 things real estate investors really need to know in order to protect their assets. So I've got this broken down into 10 categories, and I think we can just touch on each one of these. And you can go as deep or is not as deep as you'd like to go on any one of these. But the first one, and maybe this is strategically first for a reason, but we're going to talk about liability. Let's define what the liability part is and how we protect ourselves there.
1: Yeah. So liability in a legal context actually occurs in Tons of different ways. Like anytime you're entering into a contract, there's potential liability because somebody could sue over that contract. Anytime that we're sending an email to people, we've created a written record that somebody that could then be used for a fraud case. And this actually happened with a client of mine that I had to defend her on, which was there was an email exchange between the buyer and the seller. She's the seller, and the buyer ended up asking, you know, what plumbing underneath the house has been replaced. Her response email was all of the plumbing has been replaced. Oh. Come to find out that a few months later after the sale, there's a leak in one of the plumbing in the wall and it costs $75,000 in damages. And now the buyer is saying you totally defrauded me because you told me all of the plumbing was replaced. Right. And she's like, no, no, no. What I meant was all of the plumbing underneath the house was replaced. And so that email exchange, the ambiguity in what people meant is in legal terms what we call fraud. Wow. And normal people terms, we call that a miscommunication. But that's what fraud really is based in. So liability can attach from simple scenarios like that all the way to ways that we just normally live our lives, right? Like I gave the example before about, you know, Having a car accident that exceeds the limits of liability or car insurance policy being another way that we just constantly engage in potentially risky behaviors from a legal liability standpoint.
0: So is it only about negligence? Is that what liability is about or is there more to it?
1: So negligence is is just accidents, right? But in the case that I gave you before about the emails, that's not an allegation of an accident. So that's, that's actually an allegation of you lied to me. You told me that okay. all the plumbing was replaced,
0: right? Even though it was a mistake on the sender's part that wouldn't be classified as negligence then?
1: Yeah, so this is like the turn of like the legal art of what makes one claim versus another, right? Because <laughs> the sender's always gonna say it was an accident. I didn't really mean it. You should have understood what I meant. The other guy's gonna come back in and says, Oh, of course you meant it, and I can prove it because, you know, you wanted me to buy that house that you knew that had the bad plumbing. So where does it go to? A jury then makes that determination of eight people you don't know get to decide that they randomly pulled, makes that decision of who did they really mean it or was it really just an accident? Right. And that's really the legal crafting that goes into this. And the insanity of this whole system really is really rooted in that. Like, Do you really want to trust 12 people you don't know or eight people you don't know to be making these types of determinations for you?
0: Right. Right. Good point. So the second item probably segues from the first, and that's insurance, because I think you can get insurance to cover some of these misunderstandings. So let's talk about insurance.
1: Yeah. So insurance is great that they cover accidents. So we always want to think about insurance as taking care of all of the nuisance claims that come up. Somebody slips and falls on a property would be like a good example of something insurance will cover. But the problem with insurance is that insurance companies inherently are in a business of collecting premiums and denying coverage. So what you find is that when claims get really expensive, insurance companies find ways to deny coverage. And they'll either say that it's because it's outside of the scope of the policy. Or they'll say that you did something particularly negligent, really bad negligence. We call that gross negligence. An example of gross negligence is if grandma falls through this rotten staircase on your property, right? We would say, oh, that's an accident, right? And just a normal accident, she fell through the staircase. And the insurance company would say, no, no, no. This is gross negligence because, and here's the key language, you knew or should have known that the staircase was rotten, And they'll make that claim. And because they'll make that claim, then all of a sudden they can deny the coverage and leave you having to sue your own insurance company to force them to pay.
0: Right. So from a real estate investor's perspective, what should they have and carry in terms of insurance?
1: Yeah, I always say be very well insured. I'm very well insured, but I just don't actually depend upon my insurance to be my safeguard, my ultimate safeguard.
0: It's like a first line of
1: defense. It's your first line of defense. Get rid of all the nuisance stuff. That's what insurance companies are great at. You know, they got a huge team of people out there that are really good at getting rid of the small claims. And we want those people. And the small claims are much more likely to happen, right? The company structure only makes sense because those are the things that we're worried about when you're going to get wiped out. Right. Right. That's why we have a company structure in place. But insurance is that keeps our life running smooth.
0: Okay. So let's talk about judgments. The third one on your, our top ten list here. What can you tell us about judgments?
1: Judgments are particularly bad, especially for investors that have assets that are pulled together, either in a single LLC or they have them pulled together inside of their personal name. Because what will happen is if, you know, in either one of those scenarios, you end up with a judgment against the entity, then they can start to seize every asset in the entity until the judgment satisfied. So it's really unrestricted. Liability for everything in that particular name. So that's the problem that we really have with pooling assets. We don't want to pool assets together inside of either in one person or inside of one entity.
0: Right. Well, you never want it in the name of a person anyway. Right. You don't always
1: right. Never in the name of a person, and absolutely never in the name of two people. That's even worse.
0: Right. Yeah. The saying goes, "You want to own nothing but control everything." Right.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. So the fourth one here is common asset protection structures. And I think this will segue into the next bullet point, but let's talk about common asset protection structures. And this one kind of caught me a little off guard because I've been studying asset protection on and off for many years. And I've come to find that there's one common structure that a lot of people talk about and recommend, but you have an interesting twist on it, which is the series LLC, which we'll talk about here in, in a minute because that's the fifth item. But let's talk about the common asset protection structure and what a real estate investor needs to know about that.
1: Yeah. So just quick history lesson on this one Yeah, was that the two no-goes um, in terms of asset protection are always owning property in your own name or a general partnership, meaning you and your buddy have both your names. It means a lawsuit against either one of you puts the asset at risk. The general partnerships are out. The old way people used to protect assets used to be limited partnerships. Now, that's where you'd have a limited partner and a general partner, and the general partner would have all of the legal liability that we talked about before, you know, segregated into his camp and the limited partner would actually own the asset. Then the laws changed and they said, we're going to allow you to do LLCs. And then everybody switched to LLCs because it was a lot cleaner than having to do these limited partnership type agreements. And so now you find in most the old way people are doing that, well, they're still doing it, is that they'll use one LLC per property that they own, and then they'll have one master LLC that will then own all of those subsidiary LLCs. So if you had five properties, you would have five LLCs to hold each property, and then one you know, parent company, so six LLCs total, to be able to compartmentalize every asset. Um, the reason you do that is because... LLCs are treated as individual people, so if you had a lawsuit against one LLC, it couldn't affect any of the other LLCs. The problem with that is that it's just it's really expensive. Then have to form and maintain all of these different companies between filing fees, registration fees, franchise taxes, yearly fees, etc. Right? Right. So the new way of doing that, which is you know I say quote unquote new because in legal terms it's new, even though it's been around for over twenty years, is to use a series LLC. Because a series LLC allows you to create one company that can create its own individual child companies inside of it. We call those child series. Right. And it can create an infinite number of those for free. So you only have to pay once, but now you get this infinite amounts of protection.
0: That is a really interesting twist and something I wasn't aware of. Now, I knew series LLCs existed and I looked into them years ago, but what I was reading online doing my own research didn't really jive for what I was trying to achieve in terms of Putting together an asset protection structure. Let me ask you this question. This is the part that I really don't understand. It's my understanding from other resources and asset protection attorneys that you're better off having an LLC in the same state that you own the property, regardless of whether you put one property per LLC or you group them in three or five or however many per LLC, but that LLC is in the same state as the properties. And I don't exactly remember why the case is, but If I had to think back, I think the reasoning was that if there was a lawsuit, you want your LLC to be in the same state of where the lawsuit originated, meaning where the property is, you know, nexus. Is that true or is that not true?
1: Yeah, if that were true, there would be no sense in where it would matter where to incorporate, which is like the number one thing that asset protection attorneys first advise. That's why like the people talk about why it's important to incorporate in Delaware. I mean, that's a common piece of the zeitgeist of this. Sure. The reality is it's Delaware, Texas, Nevada, and Wyoming are all on par with each other in strength. So that piece of that inclination of you is wrong in one sense, right? Because it does really matter where you incorporate, but- if you're going to own property and, you know, if you have a Delaware company that's operating and owns a piece of property in Illinois, that Delaware company then has to be registered in Illinois if it's going to own property directly in the name of the LLC. And that might be what those attorneys are alluding to. But not all LLCs are made equal, right? Like California LLCs are extremely weak. I mean, they're almost useless right. for what they do, right? So all my California clients were doing you know, something different besides using a California LLC sure. for what they do.
0: Well, that makes sense. But let me throw an example at you. Let's say you set up a series LLC, whether it's in Texas or elsewhere. Let's just say you set one up and then you have one of those series one of the cells or the child LLCs, and I know we haven't talked about this yet and you you should probably explain it, but let me ask the question and you can answer it whenever you want. If the child LLC is in a state like Texas and it owns property in Kansas City, Missouri, do you not have to register that child LLC in the state of Missouri in order for it to be recognized in that state, especially if you ended up getting a lawsuit in the state of Missouri?
1: you would need if the lawsuit is actually gets filed in the state then you have to have it registered but we don't do it that way we're actually owning property in all the different states through land trusts to create anonymity and also avoid the foreign entity registrations that you ended up uh, having to do
0: so that's the secret
1: that's the secret of how you actually have avoid tons of cost while creating additional protections like being able to hold a property anonymously and but uh, a more fundamental piece of that question is saying like how would a Texas series LLC be treated in a different state right And they're like, well you know how does that work in a state that doesn't recognize you know, there's them. 13 states that allow you to be create the series LLC not every state allows you to create it there And what we look at is to say, You know, there's really a series LLC is an LLC, just like a Delaware LLC. You create that in Delaware and use that everywhere. Texas series LLC is the same thing. It's a Texas LLC that you'd be then be using in a different state. And what you find out is, if when you look into this a little bit more, is that it's been around for over 20 years that people have been using it, and we don't find any major case law around people challenging it, right? Even though you'd be highly incentivized to challenge it nobody, because you'd be able to pull all the assets together, right, and make more money from the lawsuit, nobody has challenged it. And the only way that can make any sense is because the law itself is clear, right? Because case law can only interpret what the law is. If the law is clear, there's nothing there for them to interpret. There's nothing there to challenge. Right. Right, even though people are highly incentivized to do it. So, yes, is it something new? Is it a novel type of way people are using it? Absolutely, right? Is there... Really strong reasons and legal precedent across the board to be able to say that it's a valid structure and a strong structure to use. Absolutely. And implicitly, everybody seems to agree on that once you start to look at what actually happens that there aren't the lawsuits challenging it.
0: Okay. So take a few seconds and explain what the series LLC is for those people listening that don't quite clearly understand what that means.
1: Sure. Yeah. So a series LLC is a a company structure that you can form in a state like Texas that will allow you to create what we call individual child series. So you file one parent company and then you can create as many child series as you want. They're all free to create. And each child series is legally as if it were its own LLC. So in essence, you can stamp out free as many free LLCs as you would like. The advantages to it um, is that you're able to then have one tax return for it. There's one EIN number for the parent and all of the money flows up to the parent. You're able to keep one bank account as long as you have accurate accounting records for each of the individual child series. That's going to be defensible. The key question there is always, can you prove which money belongs to which company, right? Right. And so that's where we say one bank account is sufficient as long as you have accurate accounting records. Property managers do that all the time to show that the money isn't theirs, it actually is somebody else's. And then the other key piece of it is, you know, it's really easy to tag the money in the in QuickBooks to be able to take care of it. But the crux of this is that with a series LLC structure... You can set it up with one entity, expand as much as you want to, and nothing actually in your life increases in complexity as a real estate investor. I think that's really the gem of it, right? Because most structures that we look at either have to increase in costs on what our yearly costs are going to be, like if you did an LLC piece, or otherwise complicate what we have to do with our banking, our insurance, or taxation.
0: It sounds not quite too good to be true, but it just sounds like it simplifies things. So you don't have to have multiple LLCs with multiple QuickBooks accounts and multiple bank accounts. If you could literally, and in real life, in real practice, actually have one set of books that is categorized or tagged with individual LLCs and properties, that really would simplify a lot of things. So I like the sounds of that.
1: Yeah and we've run this through like through a lot of different CPAs, right? So one of the key CPAs that we work with a lot is Amanda Hahn out in uh, California, oh, yeah. Keystone CPA.
0: Yeah, I know Amanda. And
1: I think that she's another big, you know, person on bigger pockets. So Yeah. The great part about these structures is that it's because it's, you know, I've been doing this for so long that we've got so many different looks at it that all the different CPAs that have come along and different attorneys that have looked at this have actually helped me sculpt this out to have that net effect, right? Like that's not an out of the box, you know, type of benefits that you get just from that company structure, but it's particular to a certain way that you're going to craft the ownership.
0: Right. Great, okay, so let's move forward here. So compartmentalization of liability, number six. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, and quick terms, I think we covered that a little bit earlier. That's what the difference is between saying if I have two properties and I own them in my personal name, a lawsuit against me, they get to take both of them. If I had each of those properties in an LLC, a lawsuit against me means they can't take any of the assets of the LLC. The problem with that is if I had the two properties in the LLC and they sue the LLC, they can take both of those properties. And then if you wanted to compartmentalize the assets, you would have two LLCs. So. Then you would have a lawsuit against one LLC can't affect me and it can't affect the property that's held in the other LLC. Right. So, and the net effect of that is with the series LLC, you're just creating those LLCs on your own for free.
0: Which automatically compartmentalizes each and every asset that is in each LLC, child LLC. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Okay, interesting. So the seventh one actually touches on several of the other points, but it's about holding companies and asset anonymity. And I know you've touched upon the language that we're going to talk about here, but explain the holding companies and asset anonymity.
1: Yeah, so what you want to be able to think about is how do you – actually create real anonymity effectively. So there's two ways if you want to hold assets anonymously. You can either use a Wyoming LLC for that, because Wyoming doesn't publish the owners of the LLC to the public. So then you could use a Wyoming LLC as your ultimate holding company. If you had this, you know, like five or six other child LLCs or other LLCs and you had a Wyoming company as a holding of those, that'd be one way to create anonymity that people do. Mm -hmm. But there is a way to also create anonymity where you can just use a simple trust that's completely free. Free to create the anonymity. So you could have like a Texas series LLC that then would be owned by a trust and that gives you the same effect as a Wyoming LLC, but... It's 100% free to do it, and there's no filing for the trust, so there's no way for people to find out who owns it.
0: When you have a trust, kind of a side question here, do you need an attorney to hold the original formation documents?
1: No, we, we do everything through digital signings. So now it's like I have a copy, we our database has a copy, you have a copy, and it's in your email. Those are all, any one of the production of any one of those copies of it, and with digital signatures, is going to be sufficient to be able to prove ownership and control of the trust.
0: Okay, because I know people in the past have tried to create their own trusts all on their own entirely without the use of an attorney, and there's no record of the documents other than what they hold or claim to hold. So I wonder if that carries any... No,
1: that's 100% why it's anonymous, right? It's because you actually have to produce the document for somebody to actually know who owns it. Otherwise, somebody would be able to find out who the beneficiaries and trustees are, et cetera.
0: Right, right. Okay. All right. So eighth point, separating assets from operations. I love this one, but I'm going to let you explain it.
1: Yeah, it's my favorite thing, really, right? It's because you have this castle of protections with the series LLC, and once you combine that with anonymity land trusts and trust to own the company, but the the really big piece to really cutting off, you know. Almost all the liability that you can be associated with is having a a separate shell company that you operate through. So you'd have one company, like your series LLC, that holds all of the assets in your life. Then you'd have the separate company that then does all of the operations. It's not going to own anything, but it's going to do all of the business. It's going to be the landlord. It's going to hire contractors. It's going to be your face to the world and the types of businesses that you're running. The idea there is that when something goes wrong, who are they going to sue? Well, they can't sue you because you are acting through that shell LLC. So it leaves them being able to sue the, that shell LLC where they can get nothing. Yeah. So your worst case scenario in that example is that you just start a new shell LLC and continue running your life. The way I like to look
0: at this, and it might be a little oversimplistic, but I look at the asset entities as title holding entities where you have your equity stored. And then the operations are in transactional entities where you have cash flows coming in and out. And so you're separating your cash flows from your daily business with the assets that you want to hold and protect in separate entities. Is that an oversimplification or is that actually how it works?
1: No, that's actually how it works, right? And all the cash flows that you're getting in and out from that business don't actually belong to that business. Right. And that would be a further piece of documentation to be able to put in place to say, like, just like you have a property manager that's operating on your behalf, that there's a contract there that says that, you know, this person's operating on my behalf and they have the ability to collect rents, but they're actually all belong to me. Yeah, that's what your asset holding company would need with your operating company to be able to show that they really are two separate entities and that you're treating them as such.
0: Sure. Right. Okay. Corporate management. Number nine.
1: Yeah, corporate management is the number one way that people screw things up is that a lot of times that they can do most of the things right, right? They can do the accounting records and they can operate their businesses correctly Um, because a lot of those are processes that we set up once. And that, you know, if you're working with somebody that's myself or a good CPA, that's also a real estate investor. Sure. They can help you set those up to make sure that you're going to run those correctly. But then they'll forget to do like little things like they didn't file the franchise taxes. So then the company licensures got revoked. And then all of a sudden, the company the protections they thought they had in place went away, right? So one that's one of the key pieces is to always make sure that if you're going to do it on your own, I recommend setting a yearly calendar invite to always remind yourself of what are the things that you need to be executing every year. Or you can look to become a member of uh, a firm that's like mine that's able to then offload all of – the corporate concerns and all of the extra pieces onto somebody else, and so that way it's just not something that can go defunct on you.
0: Yeah, so it's a simple thing, but it's something you just need to stay on top of. I guess people refer to that as corporate compliance. And if you're not able to keep, you know, keep tabs on it and remind yourself when to file, you know, the different forms in each of the states, then you need someone like yourself to basically handle it for you. And you don't want that to fall yeah, through that- the cracks.
1: Right. I mean, you don't want it to fall through the cracks. And and like the question I always ask people, some people want to do it themselves and some people don't. But the question to ask yourself about that is like, what are you in the business of? Like, are you in the business of doing Legal worker, are you in the business of being a really good investor or, <laughs> or whatever it is you're doing, right? Like, I'm always like, put people in place that are good at what they do and do it efficiently. So that way, you know, I can focus on whatever it is that I do really well, right? So right now we're up to a team of about 25 people at Royal Legal Solutions. And I'm blown away about how much I don't do very well the more I interact with my team here, right? Yeah. So, and just as a business perspective, I'm always like, man, if, if I can possibly get somebody else to do something that's not in my wheelhouse, sure. I'm always better off to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's just delegating and you want to deflect, delegate, and you want to spend your time on the highest and best use things. And if that's investing, finding deals, you know, growing your business, that's what you should stay focused on and then let other people handle the stuff that really doesn't grow your business.
1: Yeah. Or dirt biking, whatever it is. Or dirt biking. I I don't know. Whatever you got going on.
0: Exactly. So this 10th one is interesting. I like the sounds of it. Think like an investor. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of key pieces in here is that you really want to always be looking to hire professionals that are investors themselves or people that are just generally speaking that are engaged in the same business that you are. If you're going to hire a professional to do it, right? Right. So, like, you want to, like, if you're going to hire somebody that's going to produce your podcast for you, like, did they ever actually do a podcast? Like, can they actually tell you? like their own successes in that or, you know, from our experience, it's it's here doing real estate investing. But I would say, you know, that's a key piece of takeaway for number 10. And then another piece of it is to always do lots of small deals with lots of different people when you're first, especially when you're first getting going and you're getting your toes in the water. Like, Try to see if there's other ways that you can break up deals to not have a lot of skin in any particular one deal until you can flush out to say, like, this is a really solid team and this is a really solid strategy, right? Because remember, our goals and a lot of the times that we're doing with investing is that we're none of us are out here trying to be like, well, this year I'm going to make like $10 million because this is going to happen in investments. Now, the reason we like real estate is because we like consistent returns, right? So stick with strategies that allow you to be able to prove out, you know, How can I really make sure that I'm not going to be losing my shirt on a bad investment that's in here, right? And that means incorporating other people that have more experience than you and are smarter than you in a particular play or a different strategy to then link up with what you do. So I always just like to throw that in because time and time again, like the the guys that I see that get, you know, greedy with trying to make, you know, a 25% return on every deal that they do, they end up getting, you know, eaten. But the guys that are just really focused on I want to make a good healthy return and I just really don't want to lose money you know those guys are usually always doing really well
0: yeah I don't I don't think someone should limit how quickly they grow and build their portfolio and scale but I say often that your team is so critically important and working with the right people that have knowledge and experience is the best way to grow personally and in your business and your investing so I guess you know a bit of a Quick shameless plug here for our company, Norada Real Estate is we have that entire team and the resources and the knowledge and the experience to basically pour over our clients and make sure that they grow as fast as they want to grow while not stepping on landmines. So we always think like investors. We want our clients to think like investors. And the critical piece there is having the right team. So, you know, whether that's Scott for asset protection and us in terms of acquisitions and then lending and everything else, you know, when you have the right people and the right seats on the bus, you can grow quickly and you can be very, very successful. So that's the way I think about it as far as a scaling entity and a scaling business and being a real estate investor.
1: Yeah, I got to agree with you there, Marco. And and the key piece into that too is, you know, you can scale as fast as you want to, right? And and the other piece is about you know are you going to be are you trying stuff out are you taking action and to doing you know smart moves along the way right like i think a lot of us get stalled on our path of thinking we know there's a direction we need to go but for some reason we stop and so if we can just take these small steps take the small steps that you can that are in the right direction so if that means you know being really conscious about making that first investment, then make that first investment. It means picking up the phone and calling that CPA to schedule a really cheap consultation to find out about what your taxation is going to be. You know, take those low-hanging fruits of action. You don't have to think that you have to do everything all at once, right? You know, I think a lot of times people, you know, miss on doing small things that would benefit them because it's not, you know, a thousand percent right out the gate.
0: Yeah. I agree 100%. And, you know, speaking of taking those steps and taking action, you know, some people are going to listen to this episode and come to the end of it and they're going to be wondering, wow, that, you know, I know I need to work on this or I need to improve what I already have. What do I do next? So what immediate tips or suggestions would you advise people do right now after listening to this episode?
1: Yeah, the best value thing that you can do is probably coming to our website, the royallegalsolutions.com website, and start to check out the blogs and the podcasts and the content that we have. We believe that if we can educate everybody on what it is that we do about this really complicated subject in a lot of ways that we will have the best clients and the best customers and create, you know, the best value for everybody. So I would say that'd be the the best way to do that is through our website. And you can always contact us at 512-757-3994 or feel free to shoot me an email at Scott S-C-O-T-T at com and, you know, come grab some free content as well as, you know, the the list that we did today. I have collateral on there that explains all these topics in a lot more detail. Happy to share that with everybody, you know, free of charge and um, just to be able to kind of share the wealth, so to speak.
0: Definitely. And I think in the meantime, you, you know, you probably want to review the insurance that you have and make sure you're well insured. And the other thing, too, is make sure you don't hold assets in your name your, or your spouse's name.
1: Yeah, that's really, I mean, knowing that your insurance is going to be good, that's a deal breaker from the very beginning, right? That's the lowest hanging fruit that anybody should be doing to make sure that they're protected. And how you hold the assets is exceptionally important. I get calls all the time from people that are owning assets in their personal name or with them and their spouse. And whether it's going to be taxes or whether it's looking for real estate advice uh, from Marco or from tax advice from a CPA, I would always encourage you to see what ways you can get in to have, you know, cheap paid consultations with people to be able to ask them, drill down on really specific questions on what it is that you need for your particular situation. And knowing that there's a big difference in hiring professionals, the ones that are free will only give you the most generalized possible advice. Because they don't really care that much to really spend the time to get to know you to be able to know what it is that you're going to need for what you're doing. I mean, is that fair to say, Marco, and on your experience and what it's like working with professionals?
0: Generally speaking, yes. I, you know, once in a while I come across someone who's very generous, but you know, that can only go so far. The thing is, is at the end of the day, you get to a point when you're working with someone where you need to pull the trigger and engage with a professional so they can really dig deep and help you the way they're supposed to be helping you the way they were trained to help you. But we like to give away free information and we like to give away good information and and introduce professionals like yourself to our audience because we know that you can bring value and you provide a lot of value. So that's, I think that's the important thing here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we uh, we have all kinds of great free information for people. So, you know, I, I hope that uh, we get to continue yeah. that in the future about being able to, you know, just offer the best free content that gives the most value we possibly can. Right on. Scott, one more time. What's your uh, website again? It's uh, www.royallegalsolutions.com.
0: Awesome. Great. We'll put that in the show notes too. So Scott, thank you for coming on the show. You've been a wealth of knowledge. I know this is a complex topic and for some people it makes their eyes glaze over, but a guy like you can certainly simplify it and put it into real world practice so they can reach out to you if they have any other questions. So thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Marco. Pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions about real estate investing, give one of our investment counselors a call and talk to them about how you can start or expand your existing real estate portfolio. Cash flow and wealth creation is what it's all about, and it leads to time freedom. So get your free strategy session and just contact our team. If you haven't downloaded and read The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investment, you can do that for free. Just go to any one of our websites at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com or go to aradarealestate.com where we have all of our properties posted and that changes quite literally on a daily basis. If you haven't done so already, click that little button there. Remember to subscribe and help us spread the word. Share this with your friends and family and give us a rating and review on iTunes because that helps to keep that show high in the charts on iTunes so we can share this with other people. Thanks for listening and we will see you again on our next episode.
1: Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S., Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide.